Bibles to Genesis 40 and 41. We're going to look at both of those this morning. <clears throat> and I think it's just important as we start. I mean, it is one of those things where as you're reading through this, it's, it's a large number of verses. So we're going to try to, I try to put those together with the dreams and hopefully we can kind of cover that and do that well. But anyway, if you would just bow with me as we get started this morning. <clears throat> Father, we come to you today aware of our need for your mercy and grace, Lord. We know that we need you to give us understanding, to open our eyes to see and understand what you are doing. Lord, I pray that we would see today that, you know, even in Joseph's life, that we are patiently waiting as he waited for um, the rescue that God was going to provide for him. We do also. And we just ask today that you'd be... Uh, it would just help us see that wherever we are in this moment in our lives, that you are not through with us, that you're working on our behalf, and that you have revealed even this story to remind us of that. In Christ's name, amen. One of the things that just, this is kind of one of those passages that blows you away with the turn of events. Everything's been kind of a downward spiral, and then Joseph today is going to be lifted up. I was reminded too, and someone had mentioned to me a while back, that just when we think about God's providence, We'd say God's providence, or one of the, I think the catechism we're using now, God's providence are the holy, wise, and powerful acts by which He preserves and governs all His creatures and all their actions. When we think about God's works of providence, we see that He is governing the world. It doesn't mean that He's going to do something totally miraculous. I mean, there's certainly elements where you're like, I can't believe that God moved in that way. But He's moving within the actions of men. And so there are people making decisions as God is providentially watching over all that's going on in our world. And I think that's important to say to us as we think about that because we, we said last week as we were looking at that passage, the Lord was with Joseph in slavery and prison, both pres uh, prospering and preserving him while not alleviating the suffering. God is working in his life even though he's not taking away the trouble. But this week he's going to radically shape, reshape things and really the suffering is going to be a backdrop for his exaltation that allowed him to bless all these people. And so it's a really powerful story as you unpack this today. I think it's important to see that every step of his life is ordered by God. Every step is ordered by God. God is working out his plan, even through his brothers throwing him to slavery, Potiphar's wife pursuing him and getting him thrown into jail. And really, this man that we'll see today is the cupbearer who will forget about him for a couple of years. All of those things are a part of God's working out His plan. Now, why does God wait? You all ever struggle with that? You think, Lord, I want answers. I want to see this play out. I want to see these things happen now. There's a number of things I think we see, and I'll just kind of mention those. But one is to, pre to prepare Joseph for the future task. Joseph had kind of been in a small environment with a small family. Actually, when his family's going to come over to Egypt, it's going to be a group of 70 and so he was under his father's care. He never really probably led much. And so you're going to see him both in Potiphar's house, a very vast estate, and in prison, a very probably large prison in Egypt. All of those things are preparation for him in the future task. Another thing would be to form his character. I think another thing just about that we see that throughout, and we looked at that last week, not go back to those verses, where God is using the trouble to formulate your character to, to transform you, to grow you up. And it's, it's impossible to do so without some measure of conflict and, and affliction and trouble and suffering. 
The third thing is to give him an audience with Pharaoh. Again, God doesn't always just sweep in and just change everything in this miraculous way and you say, oh my goodness, look at the miracle. No, he's working through the events of history. And so for him to get access to Pharaoh, he had to walk through this trouble. He had to go to jail and all those things. The fourth one would be to bring glory to God. I mean, it's about the glory of God. And oftentimes when we see the suffering, when we see the darkness, it makes the light brighter. It just does. It's just the way in the darkness when light comes, you're like, whoa, and it just blows you away at God's moving in this process and accomplishing His will. Another thing would just be to tell the larger story. Joseph suffered so that he could be exalted and blessed not only his family, but all the nations of the earth. That story is a big story. That is the story of the Bible. God makes a promise to a small people, and what does He do? He does so, so that through that, He's going to do that. He is going to bless those people. He is going to bring forth salvation, not only to them, but to all the nations of the earth. It is pointing to a greater story, and it's helping you see this is how God does it. He takes a suffering servant, and He, tra- he carries him through, through great affliction, and then He resurrects him and brings him out, and He brings about like this, this sovereign Lord. And we're going to see that, the suffering servant, the sovereign Lord, both of those in Jesus. And I think it's just important, this story is pointing to a greater story this morning. So God doesn't always like bypass the painful circumstance to bring about His plan. He allows you to walk through those so that He can bring about His glorious purposes. I think just for us, I mean, if you're thinking about your life, I mean, my grandmother was in her 30s, I was thinking about this the other day because it just made me think, wow, I mean, I could experience that. She had uh, rheumatoid arthritis. It was so bad that it was like every time she went to a hospital or a doctor or whatever, they said, we haven't seen anything this bad. Her whole life from that point onward was one of suffering. She died at like 70 or 71 or something like that. And it was suffering after suffering after suffering. Listen though, it was her present existence was one, as she remembered from her early days as an adult, onward of suffering but God was going to bring about this glory his glorious purposes and she was promised a future where there would be no more suffering and you and I like seriously I don't know what your life will entail it may be great trouble and great trial but God has promised us a future for his people and because Jesus died was buried rose on the third day and is exalted to the highest place he is going to resurrect his people to that and we will get greater blessing than Joseph ever knew in Pharaoh's house I think all those things are kind of there and I bring those out because we need to see that it's a beautiful story that unpacks this glorious purposes of God so as we get started in Genesis 40 you'll notice in verses 1 through 4 the cupbearer and baker are thrown into prison now, you just kind of think about, and I know you all have already discussed some of this, but the cupbearer and the baker were probably, um, I mean, you, you, one thing you say, a cupbearer, he held this cup, he would allow, he would taste it sometimes, he would hand it to Pharaoh, make sure all things were good, both, you know, that he was protected. People tried to kill the Pharaoh sometimes, and they would do so through some kind of coup, and maybe they'd use poison, they would, the cupbearer would be there, and maybe he'd get poison instead of Pharaoh. It's kind of a, a very uh, important role. The baker, again, he's one that would provide food. All those things would be protection, but also, I mean, delightful things for Pharaoh. He probably liked nice food. But there's something a little bit more than that. I don't want to go into all the details, but if you read about like a, I mean, I know I bring this up, but Mr. Carson and Downton Abbey, right? Thanks, Carol. 
But anyway, when you read, when you see this guy in this in that show, you think he has a very high place within the family. And and really, the cupbearer may have been like the chief butler, which was a, a, like say a very high place in the in that culture in that time. He would be a nobleman. He was set aside to do something very important. And sometimes, I mean, there's one I read about the chief butler in England at one time was a member of parliament, and four times he was the speaker of the house. His father was uh, the man who, Geoffrey Chaucer, who wrote the Canterbury Tales, all those things. By the way, Andrew sometimes like quotes those. Do y'all know that he'd quote them? If y'all hung out here during their practice, and Andrew got up the other day and he quoted Canterbury Tales. But anyway, when you're thinking about that, it's a very prestigious kind of place. They were not in just some small level deal where they were just this little servant. They were often very close to what was going on in the whole kingdom. So we don't know what happened whether the food was bad or the drink, we don't know all the details, but something happened that they're now in jail. Now, they're placed in jail by really through the captain of the bodyguard. It's interesting. You think, whoa, hold on a second. Is Potiphar the one here now going to hand these, these people to Joseph and say, take care of them? And maybe there was still some kind of relationship there. We're not completely sure. But Joseph's put in, in he's like going to be the one that's going to care for them, watch over them. Again, they are in the highest place in Egypt. Now they're in prison, and probably uh, Pharaoh's thinking about, again, at this time, he's thinking, what is he going to do with these guys? So evidently they're gathering some kind of case trying to figure that out. So as you keep moving forward in verses 5 through 8, uh, the cupbearer and the baker have a dream. And each has its own dream, and each has its own, own interpretation, the Scripture says. And, and they wake up from this dream very, very distressed. Because they're thinking, like, we just went to jail, and now what's going to happen? We have this dream. It must mean something. Because it's a dream tied to Pharaoh. And they both had one. And so they're sitting there and wondering what in the world's going to happen. And so uh, Joseph shows up and he says, uh, what's wrong? And he said, we had these dreams. And he says, do, do, do these interpretations not belong to God? I mean, is God not the one who's the interpreter? We've already found out in Joseph's life he's had dreams in his own life. He, he interpreted those. God gave those to him. Now, sometimes you like eat something really bad at night. You, wait, you have a nightmare. You wake up and you're like, what in the world? You know, I can't believe what's just happened. Probably not something that God's just handing to you as something to reveal like your future in life. You probably just shouldn't have ate that much food or whatever. So it's not always that. And so, but I think in here you see, okay, he evidently understands what's taking place and he says the Lord brings about the interpretation. You see in this both Joseph's compassion and his trust in God. Now here's the thing. He has faced great struggle in his life. It's not like been an easy road. He's not, you know, ultimately, you, when you think about this, this is very powerful. In chapter 37, God says to him, your brothers will bow down to you. Then he finds himself in a pit. They sell him into slavery. And he goes as a slave. And then he's in prison. And he's still holding on to God brings dreams. And he gives interpretations. It's a very strong statement of faith here. Trusting in God's providential like working in life and all of our lives. You keep going in verses 9 through 15. Joseph hears and interprets the cupbearer's dream. Now basically, he sees a vine. This is what the cupbearer sees, and you know, notice this. You can glance at it here. He sees a vine with three branches coming out of it. Buds come out of the vine, and then grapes from the buds. Pharaoh's cup was in the hand of the cupbearer, and he took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and gave it to him. So that's kind of the picture that's laid out for him. Now, what, what he says to him, Joseph says, okay, listen, 
You see that? This, all this means is in three days you're going to be lifted up and after this takes place, you'll be restored to your office. So this is a good dream. Like you're like, man, the cupbearer is thinking, man, this is awesome. I'm gonna, this guy just told me I was distressed. Now I don't have to be distressed. I'm going to be lifted back up and restored to my office. Now, Joseph stops him in this moment. And I don't, I mean, somebody would say, well, maybe he's not walking in faith. I don't think so. He, he stops him and he says, Listen, this is going to happen to you. Verse 14, only remember me when it is well with you and please do me the kindness mentioned to, uh, kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. I uh, uh, can't speak. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Now just a little quick thing. I want you to, you, you could turn there if you want to, hold your place, but I just want you to glance at this. In Psalm 105, you're not, you know, the Psalms are in the middle. But if you want to look at Psalm 105, that's great. But I just want you to see, Joseph's not mentioned, his life's not mentioned that much in the Bible, but Psalm 105 here, it says, when he summoned, verse 16, sorry, Psalm 105, 16. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke, uh, and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of him, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. Until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord over, uh, of his house and ruler uh, over all of his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. I think it's just important just to note that real quick because in this story you see Joseph's struggle. He is bound. He is not in a good place. This is not a great prison experience. He is living that way. Even when he has this authority to do all these things within the prison, he's still in prison. And so I just think it's important to note that, but also just to say this chief cupbearer, who he has blessed enormously by speaking these truths to him, he's now asking him, just remember me. I've been wrongly treated. You see that God is with me. God's given me interpretations. God's allowed me to speak on His behalf. But I've been treated in this horrific way. Just please remember me. And it's just a reminder that, that, that sometimes, even with man, men fail us. We see that over and over throughout our lives, in the lives of others, as we mistreat people. We see this kind of failure. It's almost astonishing. He, he's not going to remember Him. He's going to forget about Him. And it's just this, this reminder of what God's doing in His life that God is causing him, it's going to bring him closer to the Lord who doesn't forget. But I just think it's important to note that. But notice on the next part here in verse 16, as you, as you kind of move through 16 through 19, uh, Joseph hears and interprets the baker's dream. So the baker has a dream. And, and he wants to share it after he hears this good thing. And he says he had three baskets, um, three cake baskets on his head. There were all types of baked um, goods or food for Pharaoh. But the crows came and were eating out of the top of the basket. So he got a 12-gauge and cut them all down. No, not really. You know I kind of have this thing against crows, but no, not really, not really. What, what he does is, is, it's like one of these things that you're kind of seeing this unfold. Is that he says, look, they're coming, they're eating the food away, and he, he, he doesn't really know what's, what's going on and why is this happening. And Joseph says the three baskets were three days. He says, in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. The birds will eat your flesh. This is shocking. I mean, this is one of those things where like he was looking for a good response. A cupbearer got a good response. 
the baker doesn't. And he, he reveals to him, he's really a bearer of bad news. You're going to be hung. And the birds are going to eat you. I mean, it's very, I mean, a horrible circumstance for him. And it reminded me, and James Boyce talks about this, that Joseph it reveals he's a true prophet. Why? Because he doesn't just tell good news. He tells the good news with the bad news. He is honest. It reveals that he is one of God's people. Throughout history, as you read the prophets, the prophets are known for speaking the truth. One is they speak the truth about the curse that's coming, about the judgment of God that's coming, and then they speak the truth about the fact that God is going to save a people for Himself. There's something about this story that's reminding you of that. And to say to you, just as a reminder, when you see someone speaking on behalf of God, they have to tell you both. It's just that I think it's just something to see in this moment. And that's the, that is the reality. That, that, that comes and just as a little side note, not really in this text, but as a side note to say to you that w- the way we speak good news is to say Christ has come, Christ lived, Christ died, and He did so so that you could be forgiven of your sins. All who enter into it by faith come to Him. They will be saved. And all who reject Him will spend eternity in hell. That's the true test of a prophet. He tells the truth about what God is doing in this world. He is saving those who repentantly come to Him in faith, and He rejects those who do not. And so I just think it's important that we note that as just a side note. He reveals Himself as one who is a true prophet in this moment. Now, in verses 20-23, through we see that what Joseph said comes to pass. Verse 23 says, though, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. One author, I can't remember who it was now, he said, you know, when Joseph saw what was taking place and the Pharaoh calls up the cupbearer and he opens the door to the dungeon and a little bit of sunlight comes in, he hasn't seen that for so long. And he opens the door and the cupbearer walks out and, and then he leaves and he thinks every time the door opens, salvation is coming. The man has talked to Pharaoh and every time, maybe week after week, he would run over to the door when he heard it begin to creak open and he would see again he was not called out. It's a very sad and depressing moment for him. But the Lord didn't forget him. I just think it's important to note over and over, God didn't forgive him. You remember when we studied about Noah and he's bouncing around in the little, um, this little boat basically and the, the whole earth is covered with water and he's out there all alone. And you think, how, he's not even a better situation than the people have drowned. He's sitting there in this boat all by himself. But the Bible says the Lord remembered him. The Lord remembered him. He doesn't forget It's so powerful because in our lives you think people forget. People forget what you've done. People forget how you bless them. People forget. Their memories are so lost in those things. But God always remembers. You think about the thief where Jesus is sitting there. He's on the cross and He's about to die. And He says to him, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. When God speaks about remembering, God is remembering His people. You may be forgotten by men, but God is the one who delivers. Even if you have to wait 
for a considerable amount of time. Verse chapter 41, we move from there, and all of a sudden the big dog of Egypt has a dream. Everything's changing here. Because it's not just a dream of these couple of guys, it is the one who's in charge of all of Egypt, and really probably the most powerful man in the world has a dream. In verses 1-8, through you're going to see this. He has this dream, and I'll just read it for you. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed, and this is two whole years after Joseph had revealed what was going to go on with the cupbearer, so he's been sitting there for two years. He had a dream that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed, they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh has this dream. It's tied to the Nile. The Nile River is like the lifeblood of the whole place there. It would flood every year. It was a wonderful thing. The Nile was like, there was a lot of kind of aspects of like worshiping the gods tied to the Nile. The Nile was everything for them. So he's standing there, he's watching this unfold, and he sees what's taking place. It's a, it's a very scary thing to him as he's seeing it. So he's, he's kind of in a panic. He calls all these guys who are supposed to be able to interpret stuff, and they know everything. He calls them all together, and he gets them up there, and he says, look, I've had this dream. This is different than Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to see him have a dream. Daniel's going to interpret it. It's a little bit different because he says, I'm not going to tell you the dream. And remember in that passage, it says that as soon as they come up, they're like, oh, king, live forever. It's always like he knew they might not tell the truth. But in this, the Pharaoh doesn't go that far. All he says is, just tell me the interpretation. Now, it's kind of odd to me that they, that they typically, you would think, would always have an answer. Their jobs depended upon it. But they don't have an answer. I don't know if they're just in the fog. I don't know if God kept them from speaking or whatever. Or maybe they really did think, hey, there's times where we really have an answer. At this point, there's nothing coming. We don't know what to say. And so everything's kind of, I mean, Pharaoh's wondering what in the world's going to go on. No one can say anything or speak to him about what's taking place. But then you note in verses 9 through 14, the cupbearer remembers Joseph. Joseph's been waiting all this time. And see, again, you see God's providence, right? It was not good for this cupbearer to remember him earlier. If he had remembered him earlier and he'd have come out, he may have been gone. He may have hightailed it back to his family. But now he's there in this moment, and he's been there, and then the cupbearer all of a sudden remembers him. Now, we don't know whether he knew about him and just kind of put him on the back burner because he didn't care, or if he actually, in this point, he actually came to understand at this moment, oh yeah, I remember this kid, this young man, a Hebrew slave who, who revealed what took place. I just think it's important just to note. And so you're seeing this in this moment. And what happens is, verse 14, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. Again, brought him out of the pit. He's in a dungeon. He's been living his life in total just horrible circumstances. He's going to get cleaned up. He can't even be presentable to Pharaoh in the situation that he's in. And so they clean him up, get him ready, 
And in verse 15, notice this, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that you can interpret dreams. Verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now, this is the moment that you take credit. Y'all ever been in like, uh, I don't know, people talking about doing an interview for a job? And they're like, man, you got to sell yourself. you got to sell yourself. you got to go in there confidently and say, I can do everything. I could rule this company. You know, like I have all this stuff and I'm throwing it all out there and I'm putting myself, my face there. I want everybody to see I'm the one. Joseph instead points to God as the one who gives the favorable answer. It's the God who reveals secrets. It's God who knows. So Pharaoh tells him in 17 through 24 the same story we've already read. And he says, this is what my dream was like. In verses 25 through 32, you see Joseph begin to respond. And as he responds, he says that the dreams are one. They run together here. They're both the same thing. What's he talking about? What we're talking about is there's going to be all of this. There's going to be seven years of plenty. You're going to go out and and when they go to harvest, they're going to bring in so much it'll blow your mind. And so you've got to get prepared. There's these seven years of plenty. Right after that will be seven years of famine. And so what you have to do is get yourself prepared for that time it's going to come and it's going to get so severe there'll be no hope for survival if you do not prepare and so he lays that out for him and he tells him what is about to take place he says in verse 32 and the uh, and the doubt i'm sorry and the doubling of pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by god and god will surely bring it about it's a repetition god's going to do this god is going to accomplish this now Joseph kind of takes a step further and says, this is what you need to do. You've got to find somebody that's discerning and wise, and you need to appoint him over all these people, and they need to hold back. They need to, like, we'll appoint people in different regions or cities, and they'll take a fifth of all the produce, and they're going to stick it away, and they'll have grain, like, just stored up and stored up and stored up so that you won't perish in the famine. Now, Pharaoh looks up in verse 38, and it's like, who could do this? I mean, this seems so massive. The undertaking is so great. Can we find a man like this in whom the Spirit of God dwells? Now that's kind of a shocking thing. That's the first time that we see this aspect of God the Spirit somehow like working in the, in the hearts or in the lives of a man. That's a very powerful statement because we see that he knows that this would have to be something that God would have to empower someone to do. And he's looking at that and he sees this kind of unfold and he says, who would be this kind of man? And no one seems to answer. So Pharaoh says the only one he knows is Joseph. And he says, I'm going to place Joseph over this house. I'm going to place Joseph over this operation. I'm going to make him basically like the prime minister of Egypt. He will be second only to Pharaoh. And Joseph, so he goes from being really a slave and then a prisoner, and now all of a sudden, he is like the second man in charge of all of Egypt. It's a powerful story. Notice what he says. I'm going to give him my signet ring. What does that mean? That means that when Joseph says, this is what I want you to write down, and he gets his secretary or whatever, write these things out, he takes that ring and he stamps it. It is as if Pharaoh said it. The very powerful thing he's going to go around in a second chariot and they're going to bow the knee to him he's going to set him over all of egypt everybody as he comes through i mean really he's been at the bottom of the pit 
And now he's there, the most powerful man. He's riding around, and even Potiphar will bow to him. It's a very beautiful picture of God doing this. He places on him royal garments. He has a totally new identity. He is this brand new man. And not only that, he gives him a wife. You'll notice here, he gives him this wife who's it's the high priest's wife. And, and, And it's just one of those things that like all these moments you're putting together, you're saying everything has changed. It seemed that all was lost and everything's been transformed. In verses 46 through 49, they store up. Joseph begins to put it together and they store up. It's just unbelievable. He couldn't even count it all. There was so much stored up. The grain was so great that every year as they put it back and they're just getting ready and they're getting ready and they're getting ready. And every year it's more and more and they couldn't even count it. The magnitude of what God had provided for those people in Egypt. In verses 50 through 52, this is really powerful. I just think, which is we're moving through. Joseph has two boys, and I want to read this so that you see it. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. This is a really powerful thing. It was his memory. He begins to, it begins to fade as God begins to work in his life and he begins to do these, he brings blessing to him. He's forgetting the hardship. There's something about this that is preparing him for the rest of his life as things change and as we see his brothers come on the scenes and God is doing this. God is making forget the hardship, the trouble, and probably all the things he had held on to and the things he couldn't let go of and all of that stuff and all the memories. You ever had something horrible come in your life and the memory of it just keeps coming up over and over and over? Maybe you dream about it and you think about it during the day and when you have a moment, it just comes up in your head and God is beginning to release him from that. And not only that, this place that was so horrific, it was a place of burden and a place of suffering. Now he says... For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. All of this trouble, God has changed it all. God has rescued me from those things. It's both powerful and profound. When you experience trials and God brings you out, a right response is to allow by God's grace for Him to work in your heart so much that you don't in pride think it's you. You see it as the hand of God and you see Him as the one who's rescued you from it. A very beautiful picture. As you keep moving forward in verses 53 through 57, Joseph's preparation paid off. Now, here's the thing not only for Egypt, but the whole world. I mean, the famine strikes not just Egypt, but the whole world. He starts selling the grain to the Egyptians, but not only that, the people of the world begin to say, We're starving. We cannot make it. We don't have any hope. And they come and they come to Pharaoh and say, what are you going to do? And he points them to Joseph as the one who would rescue them from the famine. He would bring blessing to them. We see in this the promise partially fulfilled where God is bringing blessing to the nations through His suffering servant that becomes Lord. It's a very beautiful picture. Now as we continue and we conclude today as you think about it, every step of His life was ordained by God. God prepared him. 
Joseph for the future task. He formed his character. He gives him an audience with Pharaoh. All of those things are by God. He did so to bring glory to himself. But this story goes further. It really does. It's a theme that's going to run through the rest of Scripture. And we're going to see Joseph would be used to give food to those in famine. Those who physically needed food, Joseph is going to give that to them. But John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. He is saying that there is one who's coming and He is that one who will bring forth spiritual food. He will bring forth spiritual water. He will give something where you will never thirst and you'll never be hungry again. Jesus is saying that I am the bread from heaven. I am not just providing for you physically, but I am giving you spiritual bread that will forever be with you, that will forever sustain you. In a far greater way, Jesus is the suffering servant and His suffering brought for us eternal salvation, forgiveness from God. When we take Him in, we are satisfied in Him. It's an amazing picture. And not only that, He would be raised victorious as the suffering servant becomes reigning Lord and all will be called to bow the knee to Him. And all that do and in faith come to Him and say, I have no help. I'm a wretched sinner. I'm starving. I'm blind. I'm impossibly like dominated by all this wickedness and evil and sin. And I have nothing that will satisfy. And they come to Him. And He gives them this spirit spiritual food that satisfies them not only in the present, but eternally. God is working out His plan to do this for His people, Israel, but also to use Israel to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. As you are living as God's child here, You know, I think it's important always to say God allows us to follow Jesus in suffering. He allows us to follow Him in His suffering. To bear the cross, if you will, at some level where we're walking behind Him, following His suffering. Now now listen, but He will eventually exalt His people. This age is the age of suffering, but there's coming a day where we will rise up with Him. We will reign with Him. We will experience eternal blessing with Him. One day the goodness and mercy of God, listen, will continue on through eternity where you'll experience that in the fullest measure. Paul wrote, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Then he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you, Jesus says, to myself, that where I am there you may be also. Joseph's story is pointing to something greater. It is pointing to King Jesus who would suffer and He would die in a much greater fashion than we could ever imagine. And He would bear the burden of our sin. He would be raised victorious so that we, through faith in Him, would get the benefits of what He accomplished. So for you today, if you are without Christ, you are not one who has a future. You are in a famine. You are dying. You are without life. You will die and spend eternity in hell forever hungry. 
forever separated, forever persecuted, forever separated from the life-giving work of Christ. But if you are one who comes in humble faith and says, I am a starving, blind, broken person, I come to Jesus and Him only to rescue me from this situation, you will find a food and you will find drink that will eternally satisfy. You're here today and you've never tasted Jesus. You've never taken Him at His Word. You've never trusted in what He has done. I just encourage you to do so today. Let's pray. Father, we ask that You will help us see that Jesus is the bread of life. He brings salvation, not just in the moment, not just so that we can pay our car payments or our house, and even though those blessings do come and we need You to watch over us in that way, we have eternal blessing in Him. I ask, Lord, for those who are here today who think that they can save themselves, that they would throw off all thoughts, foolish thoughts, that will be damning and hold on to Christ who alone brings salvation, who alone satisfies. In Christ's name, amen.